Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews is continuing to be one of the greatest challenges that I've ever faced in studying the Word of God. And, uh, but nonetheless, it has a very pertinent, relevant message for all of us to be thinking through. This morning, I want to look at, in this context, in this part of the Scripture, really moving out of chapter 3, extending it into chapter 4, is a promise amid a warning. And as, as I was thinking about this particular passage of Scripture, maybe the slickest the slickest temptation that any Christian may be tempted with is the thought that turning to Christianity was a big mistake. Or that when children grow up in a Christian home, come to the place where they say, I don't believe what my parents taught me. Or they were in the church listening to the Word of God for year after year and come to the place where they say, you know what, that's just not for me. Especially when you are promised initial rest in the Scripture, but so far, your experience has been a course of trials and sufferings, resisting the enemy, a struggle of the flesh, an opposition of the currents of the world. Your family has gotten a bit distant from you since you've become a professed believer. And your family is even telling you you're crazy and your religion has become a crutch to you. Now, if you have not experienced some of those things up until this point, you will. And it is Satan who actually... masterminds a temptation like that for you and specifically designs it to get you. But here's the encouraging part. That's what was going on here. In fact, these Jewish Christians were beginning to think that turning to Christianity was a big mistake and that possibly they should turn back to Judaism. Their experience of Christ was not living up to expectations. Instead of rest, they were in turmoil. They had given up their ancient religion. They were comfortable in that religion. And they come into this new faith and they are suffering for this new faith. Faith. They are losing their jobs because of this new faith. They have lost faith in community because of this new faith. They've pretty much lost everything that they thought was significant for coming to Christ. To some, it seemed that the initial experience or offer of rest was just a cruel delusion. Satan will want you to think that. Maybe not specifically in those this way, but in a way similar to it. That is why it will be very important 
for us this morning to take heed to the warning and hold on to the promise. If you grasp the promise and heed the warning, it should move you forward in the process of being more and more set apart to God, leading to a greater degree of daily trust in Him, which should also move you to a place of resolve, that is to make you firm in your confession, in your profession of Christ, and stop you from wavering in the truth, and stop you from believing the lies of the enemy. And for you to come to a place where you see very clearly what has happened in becoming a Christian, and no one is going to move you from that place. Not the fiercest of temptations will move you from that. And so, with that in mind, let's examine the promise and get a sense of what it is not and what it is. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. It says this. It says, Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest. Let me stop there. Here's the promise. The rest, the rest of God still remains. The rest of God still remains. Now, I'm going to explain that a little further. What rest is actually not? First of all, it is not the rest of God after he finished creation. Look at verse number three. In the middle of the verse, it says this in verse three. It says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, look at verse 4, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, we see here in this passage that it describes God working for six days, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. There was morning and evening on, for six days, and on the seventh day there was no evening. In the sense, it was a picture of, that God's rest was being opened up to humanity, to those who would believe, and there would be no ending to God's rest because on the seventh day, God rested and God started it. And he opened up rest that would, is his rest that he offers to those who would come and believe in him. And you know something else that happened on the seventh day, the redemption of Christ. The death of Christ happened on that day in which Christ died and then blew open another door and an extension of what God had done. But that's not specifically what it's talking about here. A second thing, it is not, it is not the Sabbath rest given in the law of Moses. Although the rest on the Sabbath was a constant reminder of God's rest, it always looked forward to a rest God's people would receive in the Messiah. Remember, the people really in the law were given a day where they had a rest. Why is that? So they can contemplate what God has done. So they can think about the greatness of their God, the faithfulness of their God, the love of their God. That's why they had the Sabbath. That, that's why it was commanded for them. Because in reality, when you don't, have those kind of things what happens is that 
we are, our focus totally goes off the Lord, and we're, we're off doing something else. Not specifically talking about the Sabbath rest here, but it's that Sabbath was to look forward to a rest that God had, was going to have for his people. And also, it is not a rest of Canaan, the land of Canaan, which Joshua brought the people into. Look at verse number 8 of chapter 4. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So see, all these, all these things here, these three, are types and shadows, pictures pointing to the days of the gospel, pointing to the days of God's final revelation in Jesus Christ. It was all pointing to Christ, that God was offering up a promise. Remember, when they were going into the land of Canaan under Joshua, they didn't just go into that land. God says, I'm giving you the land, go in and take it. They had to take it. They had to battle for it. And God would give them rest in the land, but the rest was not complete. It was only a picture of what would come. So what then is this rest? Well, first, it is a, it's a present rest. It's sometimes called gospel rest. This is a, a particular rest that is per, peculiar to the gospel. It is a rest believers have in Christ. Trust in Christ's sacrificial death begins our rest. How is that? Well, by giving us rest from the burden of the guilt of our own sin. Giving us rest by knowing that we're forgiven by God completely and totally. No longer having a gnawing conscience. Knowing that Christ took our payment completely, we have a rest of soul. It was Augustine that often said that let God should not give peace, let not God give peace to men until, or rest to men until they find rest in Christ. Right? Rest for their souls. That's the first part of it. Also, it's the second part. First part would be a redemptive rest, a rest in salvation. A second part would be a, a sanctification rest where we trust his character once we become believers. We trust him as almighty God, as a loving savior who gives rest to us while we live by faith and we cast our burdens on him. So the rest of our Christian life, what are we doing? We're going through difficulties and trials and temptations on our pilgrimage to the heavenly city. And what are we, what are we learning more and more? We're learning to trust the Lord in the present, aren't we? That's what we're learning to do. But a second thing that this rest is connected with is a future rest. Verse number 9 and 10 of this chapter, it says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, we see here that it is a day in which we look forward and when we can enjoy all God has done in Christ for us. God did not need to rest himself after he created everything. He wasn't tired. He rested because he was finished. He was finished with creation and he found refreshment 
in all his labor. And remember, when God finished creation before sin, he said everything he created was what? Good. It was good. So therefore, God looked and he says he enjoyed what he did. And in some real way, this future rest, this full rest that we're going to receive is a rest in which we're going to sit back and we're going to look at all the things God has done. We're even going to see the labors that we were part of in which God called us to, and we are going to enjoy them. Right now, everything's all cloudy. But someday, that's what's going to happen. In fact, Revelation picks this up, and it talks about the perseverance of the saints. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 and 13, just quickly. And then 2 Thessalonians, there's a passage there I want to mention. But just to get the sense of what God is offering us in this promise. He's offering us a rest in Christ and salvation and then an eternal rest forever. He's enjoying that rest right now. We're going to enjoy that rest in its fullness. Look at Revelation 14, verse 12. It says, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Verse 13. Revelation 14, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. There is a promised rest for his people. And you know what? In some real way, as I was thinking about this, we're not really fully resting now, aren't we? We're kind of restless in this life between redemption and our trust in christ and our profession in christ and our salvation and going home there's the there's a there's a tension going on there's the already but not yet we're looking forward to it but what is god doing now he's increasing our faith and then in second thessalonians 1 and verse 7 and 8 it says here's the promise here it says in verse number 7 and to give relief second thessalonians 1 verse 7 to give relief that word relief is actually the word anison. It means or could be translated rest, relaxation, or relief. He gives relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will reveal, be revealed from heaven with all his mighty angels in flaming fire. Meaning this, that right now we do have a sense of being afflicted. But he's going to give us relief. And, of course, the aspirin Anison took on that particular name and that motto. If you take aspirin uh, Anison, then you get relief, right, from your headache. Well, that's the word. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Listen, I'm going to give relief. But look at verse number 8 of 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, for them, their affliction will turn to greater affliction under god's judgment so see that's the sense of the promise that god offers to us a rest both now and a rest in its fullness in the future so that's the promise turn back to hebrews chapter 4 now let's look at the warning in verse number one again of chapter four it says therefore Let us fear if, 
while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now, brethren, this is very interesting here in this passage of Scripture. Remember, I believe that the ones that he is writing to, this, this Jewish Hebrew community that he's writing to are believers. But amongst them, there are some professed believers that are really leaning to going back and leaving it all. And so the warning is for them and us. And what's the warning? To fear. The very word phobeto is we get the word phobia, to be afraid, to become frightened. What are you frightened of? I'm going to, miss, I'm going to forsake the promise and miss the rest. I'm going to forsake the promise and miss the rest. This is, but this word fear is not the kind of fear that causes us to run away as believers, but the kind that causes us to face the issue head on. That from our text, it is the sober realization that others have fallen. That we are weak. That we have a foe and must per- persevere in obeying God. And that this fear is the kind that causes the believer to reach out with all effort to finish the race and to reach the goal. To have fallen short is to have been left behind. Here's a picture from the desert of those loaded down with unbelief, lagged behind in their journey, and were left behind in the desert and perished and failed to enter God's promised land, which was at that time the promised rest for them. Look over to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 16. Uh, in verse 15, it gives a similar type of passage. Where it says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes you trouble. And by it may be def- you may be defiled. So another thing is he's warning them. Listen, don't be the one who comes short of claiming and having the promise by unbelief. So see, the warning is, listen, don't fall short in the same way as they did concerning the promise that is now preached to you of entering into God's rest by listening to and heeding the good news of Jesus Christ. Why did the people long ago, why did they miss it? Why did they fail to enter the land of Canaan, which was, pro- which was their promised rest? Well, in verse number 2 of Hebrews chapter it gives a very clear answer and it's the answer for us too it says what it says in verse 2 for indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard you see the failure of past generations was They merely heard what God said. But they didn't believe him. So you know what that means? That means hearing is one thing. And believing is another thing. You can hear without believing. Matter of fact, you can hear and hear and hear and hear and hear without believing. 
fact, some people have. And there's the great danger. The word of God warned them not to harden their heart, yet they spurned the good news and the promised rest, and the Bible is telling us, don't repeat their folly. Well, what is it? What is belief? What is faith? Well, there's a belief that emphasizes the content of faith. That's the mental acceptance of certain facts. And you and I have met people who, you know, if you ask them, do you believe that Jesus died? Yeah, do you believe Jesus rose again? Yeah, I think I do. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Yeah, I, I think I believe those things. And, and there's a certain amount of facts that they adhere to mentally, but it's a belief that doesn't save. It may lead to salvation, but in and of itself, it does not save. See, profession does not always mean possession, does it? Someone may make a public profession of Jesus Christ, and yet he or she may be unregenerate. See, the question is, what does it mean when a person who has made a public profession of Christ as Savior and has even worked effectively in the church suddenly disobey Christ and then express disbelief in him and go off in a totally another direction. Now, if that particular movement is short-lived and that person repents and comes back, then there's a great possibility that God is working on them, brought them back to a foolish choice they made, and they're going to serve Christ again with all the gusto that they have. Or it could mean that that person never possessed Christ. They just professed him and they got caught up into some kind of excitement movement uh, and they served him for a while and it seemed like with effectiveness but they're off doing their own thing and they don't really pay attention to Christ or even care much about him or even go to his church or anything. Some people may even go back to church but they're just not the same anymore. They have no desire anymore and it could be that they were just never regenerate. There's a belief that just believes content. But there's also a belief that emphasizes the act of faith. That means the wholehearted trust in the truth. The person hears the truth. And they are moved in their will to act upon the truth. What they hear and then what they desire to do comes from God. See, in our text... People wholeheartedly trusted God's promise to enter the rest. Where it says in verse number 3, the first part of it, it says, for we who have believed entered that rest. It says here, we have believed. So there's a group of people that definitely are believers, but they're being confronted with this temptation. Now, why don't people believe? people believe for two reasons that I gave in the book of Acts and the same two reasons found in the book of Hebrews. People really don't believe because they don't believe the good news and 
that's what they're not believing. They're not believing the good news, and in this case, of God's rest, because they have a heart problem. And the heart problem, of course, we, see in, we saw in chapter 3, verse number 15, where it says in Hebrews, For it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me. See, people have a heart problem, and their heart problem is they have hard hearts. Another way it says it in the book of Acts is that you men are stiff-necked. You are stubborn people. Exodus called them people who were obstinate. And one of the reasons why is that they had a heart problem. The heart is, is a deep part of the human nature, but it causes us a lot of trouble. Because the heart includes feelings and emotions, and they're, they're, they're very distracting and very hard to, to evaluate. See, it, we're really governed by something greater than just our mind or our intellect. We're governed by our lusts and our desires and our passions. That's what gets us into trouble. And when you become a believer, you still have those desires and you still have those passions and you still have those lusts. And God's going to readjust you in every one of those areas. See, in other words, the heart of man is governed by what they like and what they don't like, what they want and what they don't want, and what they want to get. And onward and onward. And it's a very confusing place. But nonetheless, people don't believe because they have a bad heart. Another reason why people don't believe is because... They have a hearing problem right in our text in verse number two. Look at it again. For indeed, you have had good news preached to us just as they also for the word of God they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard a stress on the hearing. Acts says it like this ears always resisting the Holy Spirit. What? A great sin it is to commit this against the Spirit, to refuse to listen to God. Oh, I'm hearing it, but I'm not applying it to myself and moving to the place where it has to do with me. And of course, I'm not communicating at this particular point all the things that are going on behind the scenes sovereignly in God's working in a person's life but here the Bible is saying, listen, they, they just have a hearing problem. They don't hear. Jeremiah told us this in Jeremiah chapter 6. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. See, they, they stopped They stopped in reality listening to God. They had a, and and at the same time, the people in the wilderness, they had a constant witness of God's character, his provision in the wilderness. They saw the plagues over Egypt. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the pillar of cloud and fire by day and night. They also were fed by God from heaven with daily provision of manna. But they had a hearing problem. 
And they really stopped listening. And because they stopped listening, they misunderstood just about everything, God and everything else, and even their own history. See, there are things, I believe, that are always, that, that always kind of resonate with people who are spiritually hard of hearing. I think one of the things is this, that they do not, they feel like they don't need anything anymore, that they're all right. That somebody else may need it, but they don't need it. I think the second thing is that they resent even the implication that there is something wrong with them. And I think they fail to see the gravity of not listening to God as if you had a choice. And they fail to receive the truth and therefore misunderstand its true meaning. But at the same time, on the other hand, when you are a person who truly listens, you will become familiar with God's voice as he speaks to you in his word. You'll recognize his voice apart from all all the other voices that are trying to get your attention when you really listen. And when you truly listen to God's voice, you will regularly trust him. You will grow in trust and in your trust to him. And when you truly listen to God's voice, you will regularly trust him and your faith will be strengthened and your hope will increase for the future. And when you truly listen you will desire to grow in your understanding, which leads to a greater faith, a more stable faith. Right? In fact, on the other hand, again, when you stop listening, when a person stops listening, what happens to them? They become ignorant of what is good and what is evil. They can't make a distinction between them. They stop learning and therefore they stop growing. He's going to pick this up in Hebrews chapter 5. Look over the page to verse 11 of this epistle where it says, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of what? Hearing. Hebrews 5.11. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have not, you have need again to, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to, to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. When you are, you stop listening, that ability to discern good and evil kind of goes away. And when you stop listening, you lose hope in God's promise. And you take too much security in the present, in the temporal, you stop looking forward in faith. When you stop listening, you lose sight of the glory of God, the greatness of God, the vastness of God, and you shrink down God down to a manageable size. Like it says in Psalms, you start acting like the idol that you're worshiping, where it says those who make them will become like them. Whatever you worship, whatever you lust for, whatever your passion you're giving a, a, a bunch of time to, that's what you'll become like. And when you stop listening, you'll actually start disdaining God's spokesman. Because you can no longer enter and endure and listen to God's word. So you stop looking for sound preaching. And you start looking for talks that suit you better and soothe your conscience and make you feel good. Not that we don't need those once in a while from the word of God. 
and God will give it at the right time. But see, in this sense here, he is telling us and communicating to us as the people of God, that there was a promise offered, and that promise is still open to us, and that promise has a warning to it. Don't miss it. Don't go the other way. Don't give in to the lies and to the temptation that is pounding against you right now. Well, next, look at something else, because not only is there the promise and there is the warning, well, here's the oath that God took against this persistent, ongoing disbelief. And it says this in verse number 3. It sort of says, For we have believed, we who have believed entered rest, just as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And down in verse number 5, and again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So God is making this oath, this proclamation, that a consistent and persistent hearing without believing will end up under God's wrath and judgment and they will not claim the promise and enter the promise and experience the promise. Now, about 1400 B.C., an event took place about the day of trial in the wilderness. It started on the the border of the promised land. And it continued for 40 years. And as the people were led by God and were provided for by God in the wilderness, they still disobeyed over and over again. So what was it that angered God so much? Well, it was this, that God spoke to the people good news. That God would give them a promised land. In fact, look at verse number 2 again. It says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also. What's the good news? The good news is the gospel. They had the gospel preached to them too. You get saved no matter what time in history by the same way, Christ. We're on the other side of Christ. They were before Christ. But it was all pointing to him. And so therefore, they had the good news preached to them over and over again for 40 years. But instead... Remember, the people came back with a bad report when they went to spy out the land. When God says, go take the land, they came back and they says, can't do it. Why? Because the obstacles are too great and it's insuperable. We, we can't do it. And yet it was just Joshua and Caleb who came back and says, what? Let's go. Let's take the land. Why? Because God says, go get it. It's yours. You got to take it though. And they came back with a good report. The whole rest of the nation came back with an evil report. In fact, those spies that came back influenced the rest of the nation to constantly disobey God's word for 40 years. Well, hey, let's take our Bibles for a minute so you don't think I'm just making that up. And look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 28 to 37, because it gives us there God's response to their unbelief in the wilderness. And notice what it says, and I want to just bring out and point out the bad report. That when somebody says God can't do it, it's really an evil report. It's not a report of faith. It's a report that is contrary to what God says. 
In Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, it says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you, verse 29 of Numbers 14. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you would, who you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. And verse 34, according to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this, this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be destroyed, and there they will die. Verse 36, as for the men who Moses sent out to spy the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by the plague before the Lord. Meaning what? Listen, God had an oath against those who persistently and consistently disobeyed but also got other people to disobey. See, there's an infection that goes on when people are unfaithful to the Lord. When people say, give a bad report about what God can and cannot do when God said he's going to do something. We can't say that he's not. So, see, Christian pilgrims in this contemporary world must realize that in the light of a passage like this in Hebrews, it will not do to, to confess a merely nominal allegiance to Christian truth and to Christ, or even to pay occasional lip service in meetings and services to faith in Christ. Our commitment must be sincere, it must be genuine, and it must be continual till the day we die. It's not just a profession of faith, it's an ongoing profession every day that i will serve christ today yeah in the midst of trials yeah in the midst of tribulations yes in the midst of troubles troubles and struggles in the midst of struggling with the flesh in the midst of going against the currents of the world in the midst of all that worldliness i will persevere see so what is god saying to these people these these free people presently in the in this this church what is he saying to us today? Look at verse number 6 of chapter 4. He's saying this, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again, notice what it says, fixes a day. What's the day? Today. Saying through David, after a long, so long a time, just as has been said before. Now, just for your information, David wrote 
400 years after they went into the land and they were finally settled in the land. So God uses David in the Psalms to remind the people again that over here they're, they're going to have the good news of rest preached to them. And it's always been open to them. Since when? Since God finished creation. He finished this work. And therefore it is open up to all who believe. Look at verse number 7 again. Again, fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David after a long, as so long a time, just as he has, as, uh, as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains, verse number 9, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest he himself also rests from the works as God did from his. So see, the rest to which the scriptures speak has a present again and a future aspect to it. It must be entered presently. In any generation, this is spoken here on earth. And it's entered in how? By faith. That's called gospel rest. But it must be also pursued presently every single day here on earth and that is by faith, and that's gospel obedience, or we call it the perseverance of the saints. That every day we persevere in the faith. Is it a struggle? Yes, it's a struggle. It must be entered in fully in the future because the people of God have a heavenly life and a heavenly destiny. So when faith turns to sight, the people of God will have full possession of all that has been prepared for them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse number 1 and 2, he again says something similar to this where he tells them, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He's saying the same thing here. Listen, it's opened. Rest of God is open. It's open through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It must be received presently. It must be pursued daily. Not that we work for salvation. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that salvation has been completed and done for us. But... Sanctification is the human responsibility God's given us to interact and to pursue what he's, he's put before us. And what does he put before us? He puts before us an eternal rest. To be with God forever in heaven and rest with the Lord. So today means while you're alive, while there's yet time right now, give God the trust and obedience that he must have. Give it to him while you have a chance. Give him the submission you ought to give him before the days that you have come to a close. Because you don't know when it will be. As I said this morning in Sunday school, I received a phone call this morning at 6 a.m. in the morning that a young man that I knew in the past had died, just turned 40 years old, just unexpectedly. Felt pain in his arm as uh, I heard this morning and uh, went into the bathroom in the night and died. You don't know when. 
You just don't know when. So see the motivation here. What does this all lead up to? Where, where does this bring you, this, a message like this? It brings you somewhere. It leads you to a particular point. And the scripture points out where, where that is. Look at verse number 11. Here's the point. Here's the scriptural command. So see, what should we do with all this? Where does it prod us? It says, look look at where it prods us in verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through the following of the same example of disobedience. It brings us here to be diligent, to make every effort to believe and obey every single day of our life. And if you don't want to fall into the same unbelief and destruction, then Labor by faith and obedience to enter into the fullness of Christ's rest. And I'm not saying here that you can lose your salvation, but the person who drops out is the person who never had it in the first place. So these Hebrew Christians are being assured that they do have the rest. But they need to persevere in it until they reach the rest that is still to come, there is a rest in heaven with the Lord that is before us. It's, it's again, in the passages of Scripture that we're going to come to in Hebrews chapter 11, if he, because he's leading up to that, and he's setting us up for it, where, where it says in, in verse number 8 of 11, don't turn there, it says, by, remember this passage, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a a foreigner in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has a foundation, whose architect and builder is God. Remember that passage of Scripture? Well, it says this in the end of that chapter. And all these have gained approval through their faith, did not, receive what was promised in other words they did not have the promise of rest in its fullness but it says this because god has provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect in other words god has laid lays before us an eternal rest that is ours he offers it to us we have it in christ jesus already but we have to live every day by sight by faith right we don't have the sight of it yet it's before us but you must trust if you're to have it you must trust wholeheartedly and you must trust ongoingly isn't that the christian life i trust ongoingly every day tomorrow i have to get up and you know what i need to do you need to do you need to trust god and i'm finding more and more that i don't trust him like i ought to i really do i don't know if you find that in your daily walk, that, you know what, I haven't really trusted God today. We, run to, we, fi- we try to figure out all these things ourselves. We haven't brought it to the Lord in prayer. We haven't uh, soaked it before the Lord and, and cast our cares on God. We, try, we do that once we're all frazzled out and burnt out and laying on the floor. Then we said, Lord, help me, right? Instead of every day growing in our faith to learn to trust God, lay it all out before God, before the day even starts. 
So, Lord, these are the things I have to, are, are going to confront me today. I want to bring them before you. Give me the wisdom. Give me the strength. Keep me faithful. Let me wholeheartedly serve you. I know that my Christian life is an ongoing Christian life. You have saved me. My salvation is secure. But I want to persevere in it. I want to go on with it. So Joshua and Caleb, and none under or none over 20 years of age would enter the promised land in the Old Testament. All the rest of them died in the wilderness. You realize that all Moses did was had funerals? Millions of people died in the, in the wilderness. That's why he writes Psalm 90, and he, that's, he, he was pouring out his life, and he's saying, life is short. All I've been doing is funerals. Probably Moses did more funerals than any man ever lived. Every day before them, death was on their eyeballs. So after 40 years of wandering in the desert, the people who did believe God, they knew how faithful God was to his word and his promise. They knew God fed them every day, that God clothed them every day, that God took care of their physical needs, manna and durable clothing he gave them, that the Lord took care of their their physical needs and their spiritual needs and made sure that he even designed a system of approaching God so an unholy people can come before an holy God. And he set up the tabernacle and the priesthood and he gave them laws and statues and testimonies and guided them and protected them. In fact, he gave a visible manifestation of his presence among them day and night, a pillar of fire and cloud, making them feel safe. And also putting fear and striking fear in the hearts of the nations around who saw that. And because they saw that, they did not attack the people of Israel. Because they knew God's presence was in the middle. See, this generation, Joshua and Caleb's generation, the generation of faith, they entered the land. And they were sufficiently prepared to obey God and trust his word because they saw all around them people who didn't and what happens to them. Right? See, that's the motivation for you and I, that God is making us sufficiently prepared every day to obey him and trust his word. So God really desires God, God desires his people to, to enter his rest. And here's a few summary thoughts. The invitation is still open. Once you receive the invitation, you must realize that a pursuit of this rest in the course of our pilgrimage might very well be costly. It may be very costly, more costly than you have experienced to this point on being a Christian. Also, we must strive to apply ourselves diligently to the journey ahead of us. Give ourselves to the means of grace. Give ourselves to the the hearing of God's word and the application of God's word and the implementation of God's word every day of our life. But don't make a mistake that it's attained by works. It is not. It is God's rich gift to the faithful and obedient pilgrim at the end of his days when he ceases from his labors that God will give him full and complete and total rest, the same rest that God enjoys right now. 
and mark this down, that the very desire that you have to live to the best of your ability for Christ is an ambition that our Lord has planted in your minds and hearts. It is not something that Satan will introduce to you. It's not something that the flesh conjures up from you. It's not something you're going to learn from the world. It's something that's given to you by God's Spirit just to continue on in Christ to know this is the truth and I am heading home to the celestial city. I'm going to make it. Not based on willpower, but based on God's Spirit. He's going to energize me every day for the ambition, with the ambition to serve Christ, right? And I think one thing that you, you feel more than anything, how weak you are, how unable you are to live the Christian life. Don't you feel that way? Exactly, exactly. That's not where I get my strength. I get my strength from the Lord. And in your weakness, he'll be strong. And in these earthen vessels, he'll display his glory, right? And when I am the weakest, he is the strongest. And he's going to display his name through your life when you are vulnerable. And God will protect us just like he did the faithful in the wilderness right to the end and bring us to the promised rest because God does not break his promises like we do. He is faithful. He is faithful. And he expects us to be faithful. Amen? But you know, it, doesn't, it can't happen alone. It's, it's got to be the body of believers who prodding each other on a loving good works saying come on we have to keep going forward put one foot in front of the other trust god pray seek god's face do god's work use our spiritual gifts in his body and when we do that god uses us and he brings us to the end of the race where we see the goal line and we we have a bunch of people that went on before us hebrews chapter 11 12 right and they're surrounding us through that great cloud of witness and we know they've made it through all these tribulations and trials, worse than we'll ever probably experience, and they've made it. They went into the city whose builder and maker is God, is the architect. And we're going to be there, and we're going to enjoy that, and that is the promise, but the warning is, make sure, make sure that you have believed in Christ Jesus alone and pursue your salvation Every single day. It's not a one-time profession and then do what you want and at the end of your life you have a Christian funeral. No, it's an everyday struggle with the Spirit of God living in you, with the Word of God as our guide and our compass. And God brings you year after year after year after year. And there's nothing, I think, as pleasant to look at as someone who has gone a whole many years through their Christian life, and is at the end of their life. And they're just still praising God, trusting God, encouraging others in the race so they make it too, right? There's no greater picture than that. That's a great encouragement to see older folk trusting the Lord and to see younger folk in the age in which we live pursuing Christ and trusting Christ and seeing the goal and reaching out for what God's given us. That's what it's all about. And so if we heed the warning, then we can be assured that this rest is ours and God will carry out all his promise on the behalf of his people. 
And that's what encourages us. That's what keeps us going. That, and you know what? Nothing else. Nothing else. Let's pray. Lord, I pray again as we finish the really application of the warning, Lord, that you would impress upon all our hearts an intense desire. As the Bible says, to fear so that, Lord, we, with all our energy, take a sober realization that others have fallen, others have dropped out, and that, Lord, we are weak, that we have an enemy against us, but, Lord, we want to persevere in obedience to you every day of our life. And we know, Lord, we can't do that without your spirit, without your word. So we ask you, Lord, to enable us today that we would press on, as the scripture tells us, that we would pursue with all our might reaching the goal, knowing, Lord, that you are with us all along the way, that we'll be diligent to enter that rest that you promised us, that's before us, that we have in Christ now, but that we'll know in its fullness when we get into your presence and we drop off faith and now we see you by sight, we see you face to face. That's going to be a glorious day, Lord. And I thank you that you have done that for us and offered it to us. I pray, Lord, those who don't know it yet would come to know you as their Lord and Savior and they would hold to that truth. And Lord, by your Spirit, cause us every day to persevere in the faith through trials and tribulations and struggles and keep our eyes upon you, knowing that what you have before us. And Lord, we'll praise you and give you the glory for all that you have and will accomplish in our life. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.